And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outlimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Is the U.S. going to have a civil war? Is the world going to crash and burn? What is going on? I don't know. We have an amazing featured guest who's coming back to the show for the second time in a few months. The reason why he's coming back is he's so sharp. He's, I consider him a terrific elder, even though he's got the energy of a 20-year-old. And he's very sharp. And I think that all of us should be finding people who we love, respect, that have a lot of wisdom and start talking to them. And start seeking as much wisdom as we can because I feel like we're going into very unusual and strange times. I'm trying not to be Mr. Negative, but it, it, it's crazy. I mean, the world's getting messed up. A lot of people are just surrendering their civil liberties and not even putting up a fight. And that eats away at me. It really does. But I'm not going to give up my civil liberties. I'm going to stand and fight. I'm sure you are too. And you'll see that some of the upcoming shows are really going to get into standing your ground fighting. I mean, we may be the last bastion of humanity that stands and fights for civil liberties while the rest of them go down the drain. Well, I'll be the last person down the drain. The hell of it. There's no honor in being a coward. There's no honor in just squeaking by. I feel today people are just so content with just being locked in their houses and just taking medicine and whatever drugs to numb themselves to, to whatever tyranny that they're in. I mean, that is such the opposite of what the human spirit's all about. The human spirit's about, you know, prevailing and overcoming insurmountable odds. Let us begin tonight's show. Thrilled once again to bring back to our show for a second time appearance, Doug Casey. He's a best selling author, world renowned speculator, libertarian philosopher. And I'll tell you what, I read his articles on a regular basis. You can learn more about Mr. Casey by going to his website at internationalman.com. Mr. Casey, welcome back. How are you? Well, my pleasure, Ryan, but call me Doug. Mr. Casey was my father. Okay, Doug, welcome back to our show. Now, the last time we spoke, it was pretty intense, and we went through a lot of the dark areas. My intention is to, we're going to cover a couple areas of hope. So we, when we do the graphic for your show, there's going to be like a little ray of sunshine there. I know we're going to find it at some point, but let's go right into the uh, in the dark right now. Uh, U.S., it seems like we're in a disputed post-election right now. We Apparently uh, there was a winner, and but it's being contested. And I'm wondering, because there's this uncertainty, because... The race was so close, and because things are getting so antagonistic, is that pretty much accelerating the, the, the possibility of there being a civil war in the U.S. at this point? 
Uh, yes, I'd say it definitely is. Uh, and of course, predicting a civil war seems so outrageous, so outlandish, so nearly impossible. I mean, how can you go from uh, SUVs with soccer moms in it going to, uh, you know, strip shopping malls to uh, a civil war? But uh, I'd point out that uh, war is a standard feature of humanity. And uh, the United States, although it is unique among all countries in the world for many good reasons, uh, at this point, the uh, people in this country, as this election has shown, are pretty much divided into two tribes and they hate each other. I mean, they just can't talk to each other. So I think there's going to be a parting of ways. And the question is, will it be a civil war, which is to say where the red people and the blue people fight for control of the central government in Washington and then use it to lord it over and oppress the losing party, or hopefully uh, it's just a a war of secession or a peaceful secession, not necessarily any war where the country breaks up and people can hang with other birds of a feather. Those are the two possibilities that I see. Uh, maybe there's a third possibility. Maybe, maybe uh, they'll start a war, a major war, not a sport war, with somebody like China. And then everybody figures, oh, we better unite, and that'll put off the inevitable for a while. Anyway, it's, it's, it's not good no matter what happens. Okay, and the way things are going, I know David Stockman wrote a recent article. I mean, I'm reading him for a while, too, on your side, talking about there's going to be a, a big crash. And I've been trying to figure out when this is going to happen. Then I started reading some of Martin Armstrong's works, and he said that these crashes, these hyperinflations, that happen happen when there's a lack of faith in the government when the, the collapse and confidence of governments happen and he said that he seemed to be living the fact that we're, we're going through that phase right now based on what you are seeing and what you are observing do you think there are other governments in the world right now that are having a crisis of confidence worse than the u.s and if so would you predict those governments to have monetary or sovereign debt crisis before the U.S.? And if so, would that actually make the U.S. look even better or keep our inevitable day reckoning off for a little while? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, to answer it, I'd say, yes, there are a lot of countries in the world that have serious internal problems that uh, resemble those of the U.S. And, of course, it's true that uh, most Americans – I think the entire world begins and ends at our borders. But the fact is, Americans are only 4% of the world's population. So uh, we get a lot of attention uh, for the limited number of people that we have. But uh, we can look at the various continents of the world and most of the countries in the world, uh, all of them in Africa, all of them in the Middle East, and uh, and uh, Central Asia, uh, many of them in South America, and even in Europe, 
are artificial constructs. They're countries that are cobbled together from disparate groups with uh, antagonistic uh, ethnicities, religions, languages, uh, and uh, they really shouldn't be in one country. That's the problem with the U.S. today, is we've turned into a multicultural domestic empire that uh, we're not really reunited, united by very much anymore in the, uh, as far as what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's evil, uh, what's productive, what's not productive. There's very little common beliefs about that type of thing. And I'm not even talking about oddball communities like the 100,000 plus Somalis in Minneapolis, which have absolutely nothing in common with uh, the rest of America and were basically imported there. So there's lots of things like that too. But yeah, the world is on the edge of a uh, precipice and it could be ignited very easily by uh, a collapse of the economy, which I know my friend David Armstrong, uh, David, David Stockman talks about a lot, and he's quite correct. So, uh, yeah, hold on to your hat. Okay, when it comes to that collapse, I've been reading uh, some individuals like uh, Spiros Skoras, James Corbett, and others who've been talking about, well, this is something called, it's part of something called the Great Reset. This is being done on purpose. They were utilizing this uh, virus as a means of forcefully shutting down all the economies to bring everything under one global governance. And apparently this, this great reset is the undisguised to, to fight uh, global warming. And it's gonna be pretty tyrannical because apparently we're gonna be moving towards a Chinese style credit rating system. I was wondering what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's true? Or do you think that you know this collapse is actually something where it's, you know, it was gonna happen, but it, it's kind of, it's, it's too big to be out of, uh, to be controlled. Yeah, well, that's the $64 question. Uh, is this virus just one of those things that pass through and come and go, like we had Asian flu, Hong Kong flu, we had bird flu, we had swine flu. Uh, in terms of the number of people that were sick and the number of people that died, as a proportion of the population, uh, they were as bad or worse than we're currently experiencing, but Nobody paid any attention to them. I mean, yeah, it was out there, came and went. I mean, this isn't even remotely uh, on the board with the Spanish flu of 1918 and 1919. That was serious. But even then, uh, you know, people just drove on. So uh, it makes you very suspicious, uh, especially about the fact that all the governments in the world have gone absolutely hysterical about this relatively trivial thing, which really only kills old people. The average death from COVID-19 is about 78. Well, you know, I've got news for them. That's about the time a lot of people die when anything happens to them. And young people are just about immune from it. It's a total non-event, but they've got, they've got kids walking around with masks and people are hysterical. If people take their masks off with uh, virtue, it, it, it's absolutely crazy. I mean, it makes me think I'm living on planet of the apes, but we're, my fellow humans are crazy chimpanzees. I, They're not rational. 
they're so overwhelmed by hysteria. So, yeah, I don't know what to think about this, but it's it's very, very suspicious from many points of view. I agree. I thought I, it was, I mean, I'm one of those people. I, I mean, I went shopping yesterday. I'm the only person in the stores not wearing a mask. I'm the only person. I'm not afraid. I don't care. I, and I just don't understand. And I see parents walking around, like some kids that have a baby. A baby has got the mask on. Yeah. And it's just so heartbreaking. And, oh. and, I'm, and I'm just wondering, all right, you have a freedom-based mindset. I definitely have a freedom-based mindset. And some other people have freedom-based mindsets. But the kids that are being raised in this country, I mean, is there anything you think that could actually snap that spell? Is there anything, do you think that there are going to be certain states that we're gonna that would be better to raise kids to move families to if you're that are more freedom minded because it just seems like right now if we're looking in America collective speaking they just they're just churning out future Marxists and socialists I feel like we're we're absolutely headed towards this like like people like want Venezuela like you want they want they love Venezuela so much they want to transform into Venezuela I just don't understand I'm just curious if you if there are any particular states that you see would be most hopeful to have a freedom based uh, community. Well, Ryan, you're absolutely right, and I completely agree with you. Uh, the question is, perhaps, uh, are people's inclinations and personalities, are they mostly a matter of nature or a matter of nurture? Uh, I'm basically a nature person. Uh, it's just an, it's just my own opinion. But, uh, you know, years ago, uh, scientists who like to experiment with rats for all kinds of reasons, found uh, that there were alpha rats that staked out the best territories and beat up the beta rats. Okay, understandable. We all know that they exist. They're a minority. And then there were the vast majority of rats. They were the beta rats. Uh, they took whatever the alpha rats left over and they submitted to the alpha rats. Okay, everybody knows that leaders and followers and so forth. But then they found that there was a third type of rat called the gamma rat, small minority. And they staked out the best territories, the best mates, but uh, they didn't beat up the beta rats. So I've always seen myself as a gamma rat. You're probably, uh, you're certainly a gamma rat too, but there are very few of us. And I'm afraid we're being overwhelmed by the uh, by the masses at this point. So uh, what do you do about it? Well, look, you want to hang out with people like yourself uh, for all kinds of reasons, but uh, it's it's tough. Uh, I mean, look, when I'm during the Northern Hemisphere summer, I live in Aspen, Colorado, which is a people's republic, and uh, it's. Uh, and I say that almost literally. I mean, it's a, it's a hotbed of uh, socialistic thoughts and, and that. Uh, if I had kids, which I don't, I wouldn't send them to the Aspen School because they would have their minds crammed with all kinds of stupid ideas. And it takes a lot longer to unlearn something once you learn it than to learn the right thing correct uh, from the start. But when you send your kids to public schools or to associate with the other young yahoos that 
do go there, uh, they have these things insinuated in them, and it's hard to get them undone. So uh, I'm afraid we, we may be on the losing side of history. I, I, I'm willing to fight to the very end. And I talked to Gerald Salente last week, and one of the things he said that just really resonated, he said, the people that are like pro, I think people who've um, voted for Biden are people who are like, oh, who, like he, I guess he alluded to the fact that they're, they're, they're like pro-socialism. They're not fighters. So I'm wondering if you have a small minority of people and you're willing to fight, if you can actually influence them. And I, I don't want to be, I mean, I know you said the gamma rap, but I mean, I'm, do you have to in a way, shape, or form push back very hard in order to stake your claim, in order to have some type of freedom? And this is where I'm going to with it. Is Look, it's very it's very hard yeah. to sell the idea of freedom to the broad public. I mean, they all like it in theory. Yeah, it sounds good, but um, it's a lot easier to sell the average hoi polloi on the idea of free stuff, on the idea of yeah, the state's there and we're going to take care of you and we're going to make sure you aren't exploited. And we're going to make sure that you get everything you need. And, you know, that's a lot easier sale to make. Also, the kind of people that like socialism and welfareism and statism and collectivism, you, you know, they, these people like to form into cadres and they'll do almost anything to get power. Uh, people on the freedom side of the equation, you know, it's like trying to organize cats. And we don't form into cadres to tell the other 98% of the people what to do. So, yeah, the odds are tilted way against us. Jeez. And when it comes to choosing a place to live, and I said, uh, we don't know what's going to happen even with the, the outcome of this presidency. I mean, I always feel like the more it gets disputed, the, the worse things look for, for peace in the U.S. But would it be better, you think, to live in an area where you have land to grow your own food, or did, would it be better to live in a community where you may not have an excessive amount of land, but where you are very friendly with like-minded neighbors? What do you, in those situations, what do you yeah. think would probably be better for survival, I guess, in the short and long term? Yeah, the answer is, the answer is both, if you can do it. But, you know, um, 10 years ago, I raised about... Uh, $38 million, and we bought, uh, we had some friends bought uh, like uh, 200,000 acres of land, mostly in Argentina, and we built an excellent community there with a with an 18-hole golf course and a world-class gymnasium and a polo field and, you know, all kinds of neat stuff on the edge of a, a really nice little town of 10,000 people. But you know what? The people that came there, and one thing or another, things always fall apart because you're dealing with human nature. So uh, trying to construct any kind of an artificial community is likely to be an economic disaster, which we found it was, incidentally. I mean, everybody could afford the loss, but still, nobody likes to lose money. And uh, artistic success, but uh, it, it didn't work out the way we planned it to work out. I don't know. I guess the best thing to do is to uh, pick a part of the country and uh, 
see if, you know, but you got to go to one of the, you, you got to go someplace where population densities are low. So um, if I was going to stay in the U.S., I'd be inclined towards Wyoming uh, or South Dakota, interesting, uh, the Black Hills area, or, uh, oh, I don't know, a few places like that. I'm in Virginia here at the moment, very mellow, but anything can happen at any time. I don't know. Look, it's intelligent to have a crib outside your native country, no matter what your native country is. Okay. I I looked at South Dakota. I was really happy with the governor there. There was no restrictions. And then I, apparently they, they, they're not really close to a beach and they don't get that much sunlight. I mean, those are, I, I think I have to be close to my family. So they're, I mean, it looks like there are a lot of great things about that too. But the winters are cold. The yeah, winters are cold. cold. <laughs> and the summers are relatively short. So that's a problem. So, I mean, I'll, I'm selling the ranch in Aspen because all the rich guys from the big cities are piling into that little town and uh, not looking at the right side of the menu. So when the ducks are quacking, I'm happy to feed them. But I don't know where I want to go in the U.S., uh, but it's equally important, if you're in a financial position to do so, to um, have a crib outside your native country. Because let's admit it, if you were in Russia in 1917, I don't care where you were in Russia, you were in trouble. If you were in Germany in 1933, I don't care where you were in Germany, you were in trouble. If you were in Vietnam in uh, the 60s, you were in trouble. The only way is to get out of the political environment if things really get bad. Now, I don't know if they're going to get that bad in the U.S., but they could. So you want an escape pass. I understand also that most people aren't in a financial position to do that, and they're certainly not in a psychological position to do that. But uh, that's my advice. Okay, thank you. And Based on those countries you just mentioned, the people that were in there, do you see any comparable difference as far as fundamental qualities between people that were in Russia in 1917, people in Germany, as terms of their ability to resist tyranny? I'm wondering if any capacity, if the U.S. may have a slight advantage because you have certain communities or certain states that do still carry a lot of the freedom-based values that the U.S. Was, fun, was founded upon, and you have other metropolitan areas that are completely opposite. So do you see any comparable difference between the types of individuals and the mentalities of the countrymen in Russia and Germany and the present-day U.S.? Yes. Uh, the U.S., and I've been to 155 countries. I've lived in 10. Uh, been to most of those countries numerous times. Uh, so, yeah, there, is, there are differences in so-called national character. There are differences in the values and beliefs of certain countries. They hold things in common. Others don't. So from that point of view, yes, the U.S. is head and shoulders above any other country in the world. But those old values are being flushed down the toilet. They're vanishing. So... Um, yeah, so I, I, I mean, I really hate to, to think in terms of abandoning the U.S., but anything can happen anywhere. So it's always good to have a plan B. Okay. 
Thank you. And I wanted to also bring your attention that since our last talk, one of the things we brought up in the last conversation was the idea of, okay, well, what if there are people that resist the tyranny? And if I don't recall correctly, you said, well, you know, you're, the people that are the preppers are really not going to stand a chance against the, the, the most powerful military in the world. So I was like, okay, so I've actually, I took that and I talked to a few other people about uh, that statement and I brought one of them up to Brandon Smith, who was on our show recently. And he said, well, I'm going to have to respectfully disagree with Mr. Casey. And he said that if you have a number of people that are so motivated that um, they are driven, they could overcome anything. And I'm like wondering, well, I want to take that back to you, Mr. Casey. Oh, sorry, Doug. And say that if there is an instance where the U.S. goes hardcore tyranny, do you think that there are any certain places throughout the U.S. that will be able to successfully resist military invasion? Does the U.S. have enough military resources and enough people committed at the national and local level to implement uh, tyranny, even though they've all sworn to uphold the Constitution, which would not entail acting anyway the ways they just described? Yeah, well, the problem with soldiers and police is that they are trained to do as they're told. And if they don't follow orders from the chain of command, there are severe punishments for them. So you can say, yeah, look, they're American soldiers. They're not going to do anything uh, serious against their fellow Americans. Don't plan your life around it, because the way it works is with soldiers and police, their first loyalty is to each other. That's just the way it is. It's their buddies that come first. Understandable and laudable, I understand that. Uh, secondly, they're loyal to their employers, pay their paychecks. Uh, okay, what comes third are the people they're supposed to serve and protect. So I, I think if the going gets tough, generally, the soldiers and police will do what they're told. It doesn't matter that uh, you might know them uh, or or they're nice guys in personal life. They got uniforms on and they're loyal to that uniform and the guy standing next to them. So now, not a good idea. Uh, resistance. I'm not going to say resistance is futile, but it's it's a it's a real real long shot. Bet. Jeez, well, I would rather die than experience what the people in Australia experience. I mean, the fact that people are posting stuff on Facebook and they're getting arrested inside their houses. I mean, that's just absolutely horrifying and disgusting. And I feel that it's probably only a matter of time before they say, well, you have to have, you have to have that vaccine. If you don't get that sh shot, we're, you know, we're going to arrest you. We're going to quarantine you. And I know it sounds like the stuff of nightmares, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm hoping that there's a spark. I'm hoping that there's something within the, 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 the blood the DNA of the American people, well, they'll push back. Because, Doug, I've had experiences where ever since I decided that I was never going to wear that mask again, even if I, if I go to stores, I just push back. And I know I get some looks, but it feels great. And I think, I think the greatest or the hardest part of pushing back is just the, the fear of, of knowing that you can do it. I mean, you can do this. And when you do it, oh, it's, a, it's a rush. And I don't think it takes much. And I'm not saying that, you know, standing up and getting into armed conflicts, but just taking your power. Is there any particular reason why you don't think more people seize their power or accept the power or understand that they have like this power and they just neglect it to engage it? 
Well, you know, you might think that's the case, but uh, you look at uh, the famous example of the Jews in Germany, and uh, there was really no resistance. Well, finally, that wasn't a Warsaw ghetto, but that was that was 1944. But uh, in the 30s, when all these things was happening were happening, there was no resistance. Now you can say, oh, what if they'd all been armed and if they'd gotten together? Yeah, it's really hard to get people on the same wavelength to uh, to risk everything. And, and you know, the, the fact is, there's a certain personality type that uh, likes to boss other people around, and they're generally in power. For instance, the State Bar of New York, I just read this today, uh, has passed a, a recommendation for mandatory uh, COVID-19 vaccinations in New York. So, I mean, how do they enforce that? They can send somebody from door to door, or there's all kinds of ways they can do this. But uh, it's, you remember in uh, uh, Gone with the Wind, what um, Rhett Butler, uh, 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 who played him, uh, Anyway, the male lead, when he saw the Civil War coming, what did he do? All the other Southerners were running and jumping around like chimpanzees, anxious to get into a fight with the Yankees. He could see it was stupid. And what he did was he left the country and didn't come back for years later because uh, he, he realized it was a fool's errand staying there, staying there and fighting. It's better to go away, see what happens and then come back to see if you can reconstruct anything later. I mean, that's the way I would tend to play it. I'm not interested in getting in any physical dust. Uh, Physical dust-ups rarely serve anything. I mean, at best, you're going to wind up like at the Alamo, and maybe, possibly, uh, people will talk about it 100 years later, but it didn't serve any purpose at the time. Well, it kind of did, but... Thank you, and... Just have time for two more questions. One of them was something we touched upon actually after our last discussion, which is the singularity. And it was pretty cool because it went in a really positive direction. Can you please talk about the singularity and why it's worth sticking around and what it could mean for humanity's future? Yeah, let's look at the bright side, okay? Yep, all right. <laughs> so Ray, Ray Kurzweil, uh, who's very good at this type of thing, very successful, level-headed guy, I wrote a book called Singularity probably 10 years ago. Anyway, basically, with the fact that technologies, uh, computers, nanotechnology, space technology, robotics, genetic technology, and others, they're all advancing, not just at the rate of Moore's Law, but actually faster than Moore's Law. And Kurzweil believes that Within a generation, we'll have the singularity, which will enable humanity to transform things irrecognizably uh, from the way they are now. We'll actually control nature uh, in a very godlike way. And this would include a very long lifespan, excellent health span, all kinds of marvelous things. I recommend that book. So if you can last another 20 years, one way or another, Uh, you may be able to take advantage of that. Now, it's true, the ruling classes uh, always take advantage of these things first, like gunpowder, one of the best things ever invented. 
but the ruling classes in Europe in the 13th, 14th century, 15th century, used it to keep down the peasants to start with. But after a while, the peasant, the cat got out of the bag, the peasants got hold of gunpowder and used it to uh, take down armored knights from horseback. Same thing with computers. It used to be just the bad guys could only afford these giant computers. Now everybody's got one. So evil, even playing field. So, you know, I, I talk about that type of thing uh, in in my new novel, which I'd like to urge all all the listeners to get because it is a hell of a read, if I do say so myself, <laughs> called Assassin, uh, which is about political assassination as a uh, method of changing the status quo. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it evil or is it uh, righteous? Is it effective or not? Uh, and what are the techniques and what about what do we know about past assassinations and how they so this is all in a story in a novel uh, but it deals with exactly what we're talking about now so go to Amazon get Amazon no get- definitely check it out and uh, what would you say would be like maybe two of the three uh, most compelling or biggest things that people will learn from your book well it's a morality tale because I think in life especially when you're dealing with people about political things, the most important argument, who has the moral high ground? Uh, in other words, who really seems to be good? Who seems to be evil? How do you decide those things? How do you define good and evil? And frankly, since it may come down to something bloody in the years to come, uh, what's the nature of killing other people? right or wrong doesn't accomplish anything or not so we discuss all this some length as well as the current presidential election although not this one uh, something in present time that's similar to uh, to this and then what happens later uh, and in the next novel we ramp it up it's not out yet but the next one is called terrorist where our hero is accused of being a terrorist and then it gets more radical from there. But um, we started writing novels, my, my co-author John Hunt and I, with uh, Speculator a few years ago, which is about a gold mining fraud, which leads to a bush war in Africa. And uh, uh, then Drug Lord, which explores the drug scene, uh, DEA and FDA regulated, good or bad, all about drugs. Uh, so now we're up to assassins. So uh, I r- really urge that people read these novels cool. for an exploration of everything. And we'll we'll definitely put a link to it and put a most posting on it. I, I can so I, I can't help but ask this last question. But what is your prediction about the U.S. election in 2024? Are we even going to have an election? <laughs> I, I mean, this last yeah. one. I can't imagine how. I don't know. If, I don't know if America can handle another election. I, I don't even know if they're going to get through this one. Yeah, that's, you're actually quite correct. Well, I predicted uh, in an article on internationalman.com about two months ago, I gave six reasons why I thought the Democrats were going to win. And it's turned out that way. Uh, Some were long-term. It's part of a, a gradual descent 
of Western civilization itself and uh, the ongoing and accelerating collapse of the idea of America. But uh, yeah, I expected Biden to win, although a lot of it's due to cheating, which was the sixth factor I, I mentioned. Uh, maybe Trump will pull it out yet. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't plan my life around it. But uh, if the Democrats are inaugurated in office, they're going to cement themselves in office. And they'll be as hard to get rid of as the Bolsheviks were when they cemented themselves in office in Russia in 1917. So that's the worst case. Uh, best case, Trump wins and fights the deep state, although Trump is no prize from lots of points of view. Let me emphasize that. But uh, he's a lot better than the alternatives. But I think the next election, especially since we're moving towards a serious war with China, um, I think the next candidate, probably from both parties, I wouldn't be surprised, will be a general, a left-wing general and a right-wing general, assuming that the Democrats don't cement themselves, and in which case it will be a left-wing general. This is a witch's brew. It's Look, we're in for a decade of rough, rough times. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being straightforward. Mr. Doug Casey, I want to thank you for once again joining our show, sharing your perspectives. I find them very fascinating. And more about Doug by going to his website at internationalman.com. We'll post links to his book. Thank you so much, Doug. Uh, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our amazing guest, Doug Casey, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Constance Dallas, and our associate producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, Please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. Until the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening.